oh, wait a minute. I need my headset. Just a second. <laughs> Nice meeting you. Nice meeting you too. Okay. It's okay. Right? There's too many things coming in. (laughs) Oh yeah. And I've been on vacation for two weeks. So today's my second day sort of back flying the, uh, flying the plane. So yeah. Yeah. It will be an easy way. We'll, we'll be coasting (laughs) since, uh, uh, we'll go, we'll dive deep and we'll just be free without any kind of, um, filters of judgment or anything like that yeah and just have a free-flowing conversation like we're right, right beside a campfire awesome. where are we on vacation uh well i didn't go anywhere my sister came visiting from minnesota and this oh, is wow. the first time she's come up since uh since covid and actually okay. she hadn't been up for a few years so spending two weeks together i think was a great opportunity to practice listening and compassion and uh, particularly listening to understand each other, to, to hear exactly what are you really saying yeah. in that comment so that we can, you know, have a meeting of the hearts rather than a, because we're not going to have a meeting of the minds. No, and not beliefs neither. No, no. no and that's that. And it's uh, what I'm hearing you say too. It's being responsible for our triggers so that mm. we can listen deeply. Oh yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's work when it's like, can you mm-hmm. not see some of the BS you're saying? <laughs> well, when your brain, when your brain explodes because of something that the other person has said, but you don't want to outwardly show that you, you kind of want to, because they think what they've said is perfectly fine. And so your brain is exploding and you're like, my relationship with this person is more important than being right or the facts as she or I perceive them to be. And so how do I respond? Yeah. You know, it's, how it's, do I respond in a way that, yeah, it's supports the work. all of that. Yeah, absolutely. That's the work. And, yeah. um, you know, I always say humaning, I call it humaning. I'm like, it's mm. not an easy task no. at all. It's like, no, people talk about love and every, I'm like, yeah, love is a different thing than humaning. Like it's oh, a, yeah. it's a lot of work that has to be done. Mm-hmm. And if you're doing your inner work and you buck up with people that have no clue about it, it takes a lot of patience, a lot yeah. of slowing down. Well, compassion and empathy too, right? Like it's just, mm-hmm. okay, hold on. What's so situational awareness, what's going on right now. And one, I think probably one of the primary tools that I teach my clients writ large does not matter what we're working on is awareness of my habitual way of being, the ways in which I'm commonly triggered and the ways in which I react to that. The pause button. How do I, how do I have awareness that that's going on? Find the pause button, ground myself in my body, in my feet, connect myself to nature and the earth and the universe above and whatever wisdom that might be there for me in that moment. And then choose. Do I choose to react the way that I always have? Because maybe that actually is what's needed here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or is there something else that the situation is calling me to? And in order to be able to do all of that in what is essentially a blink of the eye, you have to practice. And you so have to practice when you're not reacting. Yes, exactly. So it's like any other muscle, you got to go to the gym and work that muscle so that 
you know, like I always say when I'm, whenever I sit with a client, sorry, a prospective client, I always sit with them for at least 30 minutes, maybe an hour to make sure that they're open to being coached, that they're open to my integral way of approaching things. Because as an integral coach, I'm not just looking at, I'm unhappy with my career and I want something new. Um, I am looking to retire, but I don't know what that looks like. The person that you take into your work, your home, your, your spiritual life, your community activities, your friendships, all the rest of it is still the same person, regardless of which slice of life we're looking at. So we can't just look at one piece. We have to look at the whole. It's great because then you have opportunities to practice everywhere. Because <laughs> mm, exactly. the issue you're bringing probably comes up in other places, but it looks different. Yeah. So when I'm speaking to people and determining whether or not we're going to work together, because I don't work with every person who comes to me, I, I say a good coaching program, and there should be a distinct coaching program, should have three things. A awareness around your habitual way of being, and then two things that go hand in hand, durable and regenerative change. So durable in the sense that I figured out how I be, and then I figured out just a slight shift that maybe might serve me better. And can I hold myself in that place? And then because of that whole humaning that you talk about, we're going to slip back. So how do I take that awareness from the first one and use that process that hopefully I've gone through with my coach to find my way back, maybe not back to that place that I shifted to, maybe something new is needed, but just that ability with tools to shift myself into somewhere else that works better for me. So three things, um, awareness over my habitual way of being in durable and regenerative change. So every coaching program should have that. And, and I think keeping that in mind for just life, you know, how do I be aware? How do I shift so that I can serve myself or others better? And how do I hold myself in that place and know when I've slipped out? And pretty much every coaching thing that I, engagement that I've done in almost 10 years has, can be whittled down to that process. Yeah. Which takes time. Like you say, you got to work on it when you're not being triggered. Yeah, exactly. And a lot of people, I see a lot of people that it's like, okay, come fix me. Cause I do coaching also. I just dived into it and it's like, okay, but first you, you cannot do this on the fly. And when you're reactive and when you want to fix something, this is mm -hmm. things that you're going to have to do when you are relaxed and calm so that you can be aware of what takes over your behavior. Mm -hmm. What is the energy that's going on? And rather than always seeking outside to control things, it's going inwardly of what actually is going on internally mm -hmm. that I am not even aware of. And the first thing is watch your breath. I know it sounds so simple and it wouldn't do anything. And it's like, you have no idea the power of the breath to interrupt behaviors. You have no idea the power of the breath to regulate your nervous system because that is what's happening. Your nervous system is dysregulated. So you have a filter of fear and you have an interpretation of a lot of stuff that happened beforehand and you're not able to see the information for what it is at times. And that breathing slows down everything. Mm -hmm. And like you said, it's, you also have to have the key ingredient that you're willing, you're willing to change. 
you're willing to see it differently. Because if you don't have that, it's not going to work. You can Mm -hmm. try to apply everything and you can intellectually say, I need to be better. Yet if it hasn't dropped into your heart of willing to be with the mess, be with the mistakes, be with loving yourself in a totally different way now and being soft and gentle and supporting your Mm self-care. So in that it's, it's explaining that this is like going to be a process. There isn't this match. And unfortunately, marketing and society has given this ultimate cure of take a pill and it's a miracle and everything's fixed and you have nothing worried. And what I am very um, frustrated with is everybody is moving away from pain where pain is a portal. Mm -hmm. If you understand it, it's, it's not in a way to, Oh, you know, induce pain. It's that also Pain allows you to grow no matter what, if you're willing to engage with it and to listen, because most of us, we don't engage with our emotions. So we don't even know how to listen to what's actually trying to be said inside us. We just shut it off and think we know what's best rather than listening to what actually may be going on inside. Mm-hmm. So it's reinteracting with our emotions, reinteracting with ourselves and that breathing. It's like, I understand it, it, it when you're in the height of a moment and you're reactive, you don't want to hear about breathe. It's like, you can take that and go somewhere else. Yet when you are relaxed, you understand the power of it. So when you become reactive, you're able to slow down that whole process and see things in a different perspective than going with the reaction. Mm-hmm. The whole thing of that snowball of a reaction. And, and it's a beast. It's mm-hmm. a wild stallion. Mm-hmm. It really is. Yet you don't want to tame the stallion because it has great power It with it being wild. Mm-hmm. You just want to be able to direct it. Yeah. I use this concept of, of the genius body. Mm. When you look at a child, a baby that's just born, they know how to breathe. We all know how to breathe properly. We've just forgotten. And in our modern lives, we're going so fast and we're focusing on so many things beyond ourselves that most of us breathe in the upper half or even third of our lungs, which means physiologically that we're just on the cusp of hyperventilating all the time, right? So if we're already feeling a little bit stressed, is it any wonder that when we get cut off on the street, you know, we're driving on the 417 and we get cut off and well, that guy's a jerk. And then we're angry and we arrive at work that way, or we arrive home that way. Um, is it any wonder if we could just, as you say, trust our body, take that breath and allow it to calm down our limbic system. Babies breathe in their abdomen. When was the last time most of us took a full breath that went right down to our abdomen? And then exited out as if, you know, you're emptying a pitcher where you exit fully right up to your clavicle, right? And, you know, and just settle into your body and and listen for a second, right? So many people don't know how to do that. And the closer we come to understanding our genius body's clues to what we need, the easier it is to find our way through challenges that we, we may be facing. Yeah. 
when I teach, because I teach meditation too, because meditation brought me into stillness and really allowed me to release a lot of the trauma energy that was in my body. Mm-hmm. And what I educate people is that, you know, breathing can feel very apprehensive for you because you may have been harmed when you were in stillness. So to go back into that, it's a trauma trigger. Mm-hmm. It's a trauma yeah. response for you. And so it feels really uncomfortable and it will take time to reprogram your nervous system to allow yourself to feel safe in that, that Mm -hmm. space. But again, that's your genius body is speaking to you in those moments saying, Hey, this wasn't a safe place for us before. Are you sure you want us to go here? Right. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. That's absolutely perfectly the way it should be. And so we've forgotten how to listen to the clues and the cues that our body sends us all the time. Like, I don't know about you, but like math was always a challenge for me. Uh, Spelling was easy, but math was hard. And I would sit down even as a, as a kid in grade two or grade three in front of a math test. And I would go, (sighs) as I grabbed my pen to try and, you know, force my way through this and put my dots on the table or on the, on the page to count, which I still do to this day. It's craziness. Um, but I took that deep breath because my genius body knew that I needed that in order to be able to do what I was about to do. So we've forgotten what we knew in grade two, mm-hmm. a breath calms us, it steadies our nerves. Yeah. And then we can move into the next thing, a breath and a pause, and then an action so that we can move forward. And we do that instinctively and we do that intuitively, but we've forgotten how to do it with intention. Mm-hmm. The intention is uh, the biggest thing. Yeah. And when you go, okay, that guy just cut me off. Is it blasting my horn to say you jerk? Or is it <sighs> calming myself down, letting that go? Cause that was in a minute ago and it's not the now so that I can walk through the threshold mm-hmm. at home and say, Hey, everybody, how was your day? Right. Yeah. Exactly. Um, I appreciate this conversation. It's always great (laughs) when we can speak the same language and build on it so that, you know, I know many listeners sometimes hearing this, it's like, what are you talking about? And Mm -hmm. they're not aware of this inner terrain and accessing this power that is free to them. It's their Mm -hmm. own resource. And I think I want to add to that is that the reason why some of them, as you coined it, the genius body, don't trust it is because so many people when they were younger told them that they weren't there yet or they didn't know what they were doing. So when their intuition was telling them certain things or they went into a room and felt a certain vibration and was like, this doesn't feel right. But everybody's like, no, it's all in your head. There's nothing wrong. So you start to disconnect from that inner knowing that that intuition and so when it's trying to speak to you you're like you shut it up because other people told you that has no value and Mm -hmm. it's it has no information to give you so you don't trust that so it's learning to reconnect into that into trusting that 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 intuition that small still voice um that goes on Mm -hmm. and it, it takes the work to start from the inside out rather than going from the outside in yeah yeah, all all development is an inside job, right? Like it, it, it all starts with me first, looking at me first. But I, I want to go back and pick up a thread that you had around pain because this is this is germane here too, right? Um, I'm not a Buddhist, 
but I have, you know, looked at some things. And and one of the ideas that I use a lot with my clients is, is a simple equation of suffering is equal to pain times resistance. And you, you spoke earlier about pain being a portal into learning and growth and development, which it absolutely is. But the Buddhists say that suffering is a fact of life and, and su- or pain rather is a fact of life. And it, it comes in all kinds of forms, right? It, it can be, I don't fit in. It can be the turning away from my intuitive knowing, my intuitive sense of self, my intuitive understanding of a situation, even if everybody around me is saying that I have it wrong, it's what's true to me. So turning away from my own truth, that can be a form of pain. But we create resistance. We create suffering through the resistance of the squelching away of my intuitive knowing. When when I'm in a pain position, I can reinforce that and create suffering for myself. And, and that's just, that is something that we do all the time. And I think it really behooves us to take some time to say, how am I creating suffering for myself? How am I resisting something that just is as it should be? My, my mother died seven years ago. That was shocking. It was hard. And there were times when I just did not want that to be. Um, when my husband asked me for a divorce, it took me almost seven months. It was February and it was August when I finally accepted it and then let, you know, moved the kids on and, and, and all the rest of it. During those times, I created suffering for myself by not being able to accept the reality of where I was. Um, and even in my, what I call my divorce recovery years, um, there were so many times when I yearned for that feeling of being part of a family again, not yearned for the spouse that had, had moved on, but rather just that, that sensation of being what I thought was complete and unbroken without realizing that I actually was complete and unbroken as I was. It might not have looked like what I thought it was, but it was complete just with my sons and and myself. And it's hard when you're in the middle of that kind of a situation to just move the fog away and, and come down to what is reality. And one of the, what is your reality in that moment? And and you're on to exactly the the tool that gets you there, the 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 grounding, the breath, the quiet, the listening. The heartbreak of that work is is not to be denied, but it it too can be embraced. And it's part of how we develop our own wisdom. I call it warrior work. Yeah, absolutely. It's warrior work to allow yourself to be honest with what you're actually feeling and not put the mask on for the perception of others and Mm. hiding your vulnerability. Yeah. And that's a real center in the coaching that I do. It's, it's, we're not going to be, yes, you have to be honest about what you're actually saying and actually start advocating from truth, not what you perceive other people want you to be Mm -hmm. actually speak from honesty because from when we're children it's more easier to lie than it is to be honest we learn very quickly to lie Mm -hmm. than to be honest about what we're actually feeling or experiencing or or thinking 
mm-hmm. because it's not accepted in society or it's having somebody else feel uncomfortable with their inner terrain of emotions mm-hmm. and expressions. And so to come back into a compass of honesty of actually what I'm feeling and even just the simplicity, sometimes when I'm working with clients, it's like, can you just acknowledge you're scared? Can you just say that simple phrase of I'm feeling scared right now? And some of them are, no, I I can't do that. And then when they do it, they're like, what, what, what was like, what? And it's like, yeah, come out of the armament. You're, Mm -hmm. you're, boxing yourself and you're not being honest and that's why it feels so rigid and and it doesn't feel expansive because you're not releasing the fear Mm -hmm. and you just have to acknowledge it and let it go Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. there's um there's a great i don't know if you do any of this but uh, i've been studying some somatic tools and there's Mm -hmm. a great great one lately that or that i was taught about just put your hand into a fist and i invite you know our, our listeners to do that too right now just put it into a fist really tight really hold tight now pick up a pen and write your name, right? You can't, you're, you're closed off. Whereas if you let that fist go and shake it out a little bit, what does that feel like in your body? You know, like loose, relaxed, flowing. Now pick up a pen. You can do that so much more easily. And living is like that too, right? Sometimes we live in a way that's so tight and controlled. There's no spaciousness. There's no area for breath. That's why we're breathing in our upper third of our lungs. And if we could just find some way to kind of shake that off. Yeah. And then, you know, like, I don't know if anybody's done any horseback riding. I never have, but I have an intuitive feeling of what that's like. If I hold the reins, it's, it's with loose hands, right? It's as soon as I tighten up, I'm, or if I'm walking, even when I, my dog died last year, but when we go for a walk, if I'd pull him along, that's hard on both of us. And yet if, if we just kind of walk with a sense of friendliness and spaciousness, what if I were to offer that to myself? What if I were to live from that place? What's possible in my relationships? Mm -hmm. Probably doesn't change any of the facts on the ground, but it sure changes how I perceive them and hold them. Right. And how I feel in my, uh, how I feel in my living space, mm-hmm. which is your temple and which is a, your body. Yeah. Like how you're feeling is important. And a lot of people negate that and say, no, no, it doesn't matter. And it's like, you're suffering and you don't even realize the suffering that you're, you're putting onto yourself because mm-hmm. you're not allowing yourself. And I understand sometimes, you know, people are repulsed by joy. They don't know how to come back into joy because they're afraid it's going to be taken away. So it's better off that I'm not even with it. Mm-hmm. And it's like, do you know how much you're missing out on life, on feeling alive? And I posted yesterday um, a simple little blurb of just because it's going to be okay doesn't mean it's not going to hurt. Mm. And I think a lot of people think, well, okay means no pain, no hurting. It's like, oh, heck no. Mm-hmm. If, if anybody of my immediate, if like my mother's still with me, thank you. My, my sons are still with me. Thank you. If any of them pass away, although I know the spiritual text and I know it in my being of what death is and, and energy, it's still going to hurt. Mm-hmm. I'm still human. There's still a connection that I have to go on the other side of love now. Mm-hmm. I was used to love on this side. Now I have to go on the other side of love. 
And that has a depth that it's like, whoa, this is a whole other place to adjust with. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There's pain and there's hurt with that. Yeah, yeah. The uh, the Lebanese poet Khalil Gibran, he he mm, wrote. I love uh, him. Yes. So in his in his poem, the the prophet. Do you know that yes, one? Yes. Yeah. And it, he he talks about all these things that are paired up. You know that that are the same. And and joy and suffering are basically the same kind of thing. And your ability to feel one is completely dependent on your ability to feel the other. You yeah. you can't have love without also feeling sorrow when that love is gone and and the capacity to feel love deeply will result in feeling sorrow deeply too yeah and yet i wouldn't give up the love because i was going to have the suffering you know the sorrow yeah you, you just can't okay. um david uh, i've been listening to a um a podcast interview that uh, David White, the poet, the Irish poet, posted. He was interviewed by Christian Tippett on in a, in a podcast in a show called On Being, and in it he was talking about how um, ha- this very thing. You know, you you cannot live a full and complete life without being aware of and experiencing deep, deep hurt and vulnerability. But you know. The full and and wonderful life is is the the trade off, if you will, for some of that vulnerability that we have to kind of step into, and I, and I think it it takes an awful lot of courage, and I say courage, not bravery, because it comes from a heart space, not from a head space. Bravery can can be a a head action, but courage is a heart action. Even the word, you know, coming from the French is is a is the heart, cool, mm-hmm. right? So it's it's taking courage to step into vulnerability. And we do that each and every day. We, we do that with our children. We do that with our parents. We do that with every relationship in which we are willing to be ourselves. You know? Yeah. I'm going to start the podcast, even though I'm using all of this and I'm going to clip it. <laughs> it's okay. But I'm going to introduce you into the podcast. And yeah. Welcome to the Lift Oneself podcast, Trudy. I am so thankful you're here with me. Hmm, Thank you for having me, Natalie. It's really wonderful to be here. Let's take a breath together. Breathe in through your nose. And slowly release. How's your heart doing? Good. It's full. It's uh, a friend of mine yesterday said... uh, said of the weather it was pregnant with rain and i feel that my my heart is full in that same way uh, my sister's just been visiting she's she's returned home to minnesota um while she was here for the last two weeks i got to spend some time with my 18 year old niece who uh kim has my sister has four children anna is the second oldest and eldest daughter i think the last time i saw anna she was 12 and so it was great to spend some time with her now as, as you know, to see the lovely young woman that she has become uh, as she it, being America, she's heading off to college next year. So um, just to, to get to know her at, at this place was really, uh, really special. Yeah. Yeah. What can you thank COVID for? Mm. 
So I'm in my second marriage. Uh, my husband, Bruce, and I have been married now for coming up eight years, I think, <laughs> together for 13. His first wife died of breast cancer. I, I'm divorced. And so COVID, uh, my work all pivoted home. He, as a coach, I, I was able to, to shift my work onto, onto this platform, onto Zoom. And he's been retired now for seven years. So during COVID, we spent all pretty much 24-7 at home together. And we still like each other now. So, <laughs> so yeah, yeah. So I think I can thank COVID for uh, reinforcing um, this relationship. Um, my father's still alive. Uh, he has not yet contracted COVID. He's had all of his vaccines. He's 83. He'll be 84 in Christmas. Um, my sons are doing well. My stepchildren are doing well. Uh, they've all had COVID, but they all made it through. Grandkids are well. Um, so I can thank COVID for helping me nurture those relationships in a different way than I think I would have before. Um, I do thank technology. I think Zoom has been a, a wonderful thing for helping people to stay connected. Um, and, you know, when we first started this technology, connecting over technology, um, it's hard, like you and I both coach. And mm -hmm. so being able to read the full body language of somebody else really matters. And I thought I would never be comfortable doing coaching over Zoom because you're blind. It's almost like you're flying blind. If I want to have impact with something that I'm going to say, I need to look at my little lens so that I'm effectively making eye contact with you. But if I want to see how something actually lands, I need to look down at my screen and see you. Mm -hmm. And that was really uncomfortable for a while. But I've learned that you can overcome all of that. Yeah. And so that's allowed me to have reach in my coaching practice that I didn't have before. You know, I've, I've got clients overseas now that I don't have to fly to, um, that sort of thing. I have a regular connection for a practice that I do that helps me with my, um, remaining grounded, a practice called focusing. So my focusing partners in Scotland and we meet every week. Um, that's a huge, rich relationship that now has been going on for six years, a little bit more than that. Um, I've never met Maggie and yet I know her very well. Right. So it's COVID has helped me to appreciate technology in a way that I wouldn't before. I was always kind of averse to it. Um, my coach training was down in, in San Francisco with a coach school called new ventures West. And uh, I flew down four times through the course of a year for uh, sessions with my group. And, uh, that being Silicon Valley, they were all about meditation apps and an app for this and an app for that. And I was always um, reluctant to engage with the technology. And so I think COVID has taught me not to be afraid of it. Mm -hmm. um, COVID also brought me back into my, my roots are as a journalist. Um, I have a master's in journalism. I used to work for CBC Radio in the news. Um, when I became divorced, I had to leave that work and moved here and worked in reestablished my 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 uh, company as a strategic communications company uh, and then policy analysis and so on and so on. But COVID enabled me 
to go back to my roots in radio. And that was when I established my own podcast, uh, Meanderings with Trudy, which was uh, my attempt to answer the question, what's my part? You know, there's all of, if you remember the fear that was there present in our first experiences with COVID, lots of people were, were very much afraid. And I felt it so important to be reminded that we have joy inside of us. Each and every one of us have joy. And what does that joy look like in just regular lives? So it allowed me to go back to journalism, to begin to work with sound again, which I love. I love, love, love working in sound. And I really love having these kinds of conversations where, where we talk about meaningful things. Um, and through the, 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 the fun of technology, we can invite listeners in to sit. And as you said, when we first uh, signed on, it's like we're sitting around a campfire having a chat. Well, this is the same for me, meandering in the forest. We're going to just have a little meander and a little chat, a little explore about what joy looks like in your life and how it shows up. And so now I'm in the second, uh, the second season of that. I've got almost 55 episodes under my belt. Congrats. And it's been a lot of fun. So yeah, yeah. that's, that's a big thank you to COVID for that. Cause I don't think I would have gotten back uh, into, into, um, sound and into having these kinds of conversations without it. So, yeah. I hope you can relate. I cannot consume coffee. It gives me the jitters, ups my anxiety, and then I crash. When I was approached by Magic Mind, I was skeptic that it was going to do anything because a lot of their ingredients I'm already consuming. And let me tell you, I was so wrong. There's this one ingredient that's called Bocopa Manieri, and that did magic for me. It removed the brain fog, diminished the procrastinations, and my decisions were met with action. And I tried this product with several scenarios in different days. I recorded a podcast all day. And let me tell you, if you don't know anything about podcasting, that is a brain drain. Yet I was able to stay alert and stay focused and be consistent with what I had to do. Another day, I had a jam-packed day with clients. And again, brain drain. Yet I was able to be alert and show up with each person with aliveness and energy and be able to really deeply listen with them. Another day I had physical activity with the twins and anybody that's a parent, you know, cognitively that could be a little frustrating to meet their energy. And I was able to show up and play and be joyful with them. My mind was blown. Sharing is caring. And for you, the listener, for the next 10 days, I am able to offer you a discount. Yeah, a discount. Who doesn't like that? And you know what? It's 40% off your subscription. Go to the link www.magicmind.co forward slash lift. That's www.magicmind.co forward slash lift and use my discount code lift, L-I-F-T. You don't know what you need until you try it. And let me tell you how thankful I am I tried it because now I'm a subscriber and have much more energy. What brought you into coaching? I Coaching came to me when I first moved here to Ottawa in 2002. Um, I had a, had a chance meeting with a, a woman who was, and only in Ottawa can you say this sentence and have it make sense. And I'll explain it in a second. She was DG of HR at HRSDC. <laughs> so she was a director general of human relations at um, human HRSTC, human 
Human Resources and Skills Development Canada. So federal government alphabet yeah. soup there. But she was about yeah. to take a, a year's a year's sabbatical herself to um to take her coach training. And she said to me, you know, you have all the natural attributes. You you should come along too. And I was like, I was a mess. I was only just divorced. I changed, I'd I'd left my dream job. I'd moved here. I didn't know where food was coming from. Uh, I did have the kids enrolled in school. That was all that I had at that point. (laughs) So I was like, and I was still paying for my master's. So I'm like, no, 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 it's not a good time. And I knew intuitively that I had work that I had to do before I could begin to take that. And so I kind of thought I went back to do my master's when my kids were in junior and senior kindergarten, Mm -hmm. um, because I felt it was really important to be present to them when they were we. So I had the babies. I had a consulting company that I, I did projects between, you know, naps and feedings and plays at the park. Um, but by and large, I was home raising them myself. And so then when they were starting school, that's when I went back to school myself, did my master's for a year in journalism, and then landed my job in, in Toronto in national radio news. Um, and so when coaching came to me, I kind of thought, I still want to be present for the boys' um, educational life. And I can't upend everything right now, but maybe when they hit university, maybe that's a good time to retool. And that's exactly what I did. So I ran my communications company for about 15 years. Um, in the meanwhile, during that time, taking the occasional class on what is coaching, how does coaching work? How do you ask good questions? Yada, yada, yada. And so when my youngest started his first year at Queens, that's when I went back and took my years long training uh, to be a coach with New Ventures West. Uh, I worked part-time that year. At that point, I was working. I was inside working for the Canadian Nuclear Safety Commission. And um, I I dropped down to part-time work so that I could, you know, do this training. And and then left the CNSC at that point to to launch my company. Um, It's the same business numbers I had in 1990 when I first established it, but it's, uh, it's been a different company over the 30 years that, uh, that I've run it. So coaching came to me that way. Yeah. What I'm hearing you say is that you've had to reinvent yourself several times. Mm -hmm. Can you explain what that process is for the listeners? Hmm. Hmm. What that process is. Well, I kind of grew up reinventing myself. My dad was in the military, so, uh, I've lived on both coasts. Uh, and then when I was uh, in grade 11, um, he retired from the military and got into foreign affairs. And so had another 26-year uh, career with foreign affairs. So when I was in grade 12, um, we moved here to Ottawa for a few months and then were posted to Tel Aviv, Israel. So wow. um, I learned to speak tele- uh, Hebrew while at te- the University of Tel Aviv. I studied there for about a year. Um, so I think I grew up knowing how being forced into the position of having to change all the time. Mm -hmm. I'd always thought that that was a positive thing and I still do, but now with maturity and understanding, I appreciate how that was also traumatizing. Mm -hmm. Um, I never really, I, I knew that I didn't have memories, but I never really thought much about it until I became a coach. And then I'm like, Holy smokes, you have no memories. 
<laughs> you have no memories of anything. And yeah. that's not really all that healthy. <laughs> a lot of disassociation. And it's like, what did I need to protect myself from? Absolutely. And so um, how do you reinvent yourself? I think you you're in a position in life, in your life, that for whatever reason, your finding doesn't fit you right anymore. Mm -hmm. And so then sometimes it's, it's uh, happenstance or serendipity, or sometimes you intentionally take a look and say, well, what do I, what do I, what am I being called to right now is sort of a coaching question, but, but in an average person's life who doesn't have a coach, I think you're just looking at like, I'm not happy. What, what do I need to do? And then, you know, trial and error usually, or pros and cons, when opportunities come a person's way, they can sit down and say, well, what should I do? Um, for me, when I, when I left journalism and came to Ottawa, the only thing that I knew, see, when I was in, in news, um, I was the after hours producer on, on the six o'clock news and radio. So I worked till almost 10 o'clock at night. So it's hard enough to get childcare till six, you try getting something till 10. So there was no way that I could continue staying in that position. And there wasn't, the daytime jobs were for people with much more experience than I had. So, um, and I needed help. The kids were young and their dad didn't really want to be involved so much anymore. So I needed somebody to, to be there at the end of the school day or you know, look after the kids when they're sick because I have to work. And now I only have one income that I'm going to have to be doing all this on. So I moved here to Ottawa because my parents were here. Mm -hmm. um, after all of their globe trotting, they'd settled here and uh, dad was still working. Dad still uh, took what they called temporary duties out to the embassies. He was a technical, yeah. is a technical man. So um, he can, he can do everything from wire a, wire a uh, a plug to uh troubleshoot your laptop is yeah pretty amazing range of skills for somebody who only had formal education to grade 10 so when we think yeah. about that in this day and age you're like what the fuck <laughs> my dad's pretty incredible and i think um, sometimes we don't value enough lived experience there's a lot too many people with theory and mm -hmm. there, well, this is how you practical, but there's not enough lived experience of, well, did you yeah. actually apply it? Have you actually done it? Have you troubleshooted without looking at mm. textbooks? Have you manipulated things to figure out how it works without, you know, being instructed with things? Yeah. And I think, you know, we need to come back into, I understand the, the importance of education yet. I think it also negates people from being able to amplify their own skills just because they didn't come in a formal education, it, mm -hmm. it people tend to diminish people's skills because, yeah. well, it didn't look a certain way. And it's like, yeah. do you understand how important lived experience is? Yeah. Well, this is it with coaching. I mean, I, I agree a hundred percent. And I, I also think that part of the, part of what makes a, a coach really effective is having lived a bit of a life, right? Like, yeah. Um, I I focus on personal development, particularly with people facing transition, whatever that transition looks like. By the time I was in my mid-20s, I'd moved almost 22 times. Why? Yeah. 
Like There's I no kind of know how to, I know how to pack up a kitchen and pull it back together again in a, in a day. Right. Like, yeah. um, but it took me a while. I, it's astonishing, but I've been here in Ottawa for, you know, 20 years now. And wow. the first couple of years of being here every two years or so, I get that feeling of, well, I need to pack everything up and leave. And it's like, no, maybe we'll buy some throw cushions. <laughs> <laughs> something new, yeah. but we're staying put. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, cause, cause my goal was to give the kids roots in this community and yeah. a sense of stability that they hadn't had in their lives up until that point. And um, that you didn't have in your childhood. No, exactly. So reprogramming and reparenting yourself That's right. through the lived experience of parenting, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. reconnecting with your inner child and supplying the needs that it needed um, mm-hmm. to feel a sense of safety and security. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you, you asked about how do you, how do you, how do you handle transition? How do you retool into something new? Sometimes the pieces only make sense in hindsight, right? Always. Because (laughs) you're going forward. Most of us operate our lives on autopilot, which is why only in hindsight does anything really make sense to us. When you begin to live a life of intention and you're intentionally taking time and space to feel into, not think, but feel into where you feel called to be. All of this word, all of this languaging is different. The pieces and the choices still only make sense in hindsight. (laughs) But that's okay. Yeah, that's okay. You're moving forward with more intention and chances are good that you're closer to where you're needed as a result mm-hmm. of that. Yeah. Not just needed by the outside world, but where you need to be. You know? mm-hmm. What lights you up, what allows you to be expansive and open without the rigidity of, of boundaries mm. um, and feeling that you have to keep yourself safe and not being able to just be open and having your heart open. You know, that's the work of when we're in fear of we've been hurt, we close up our heart and mm-hmm. the work is to reopen it up. Mm-hmm. And that that knowing that you're going to go into the unknown territory of pain again, because mm-hmm. when you open up your heart, you know, oh, I'm going to experience pain again, but I don't want to. So I feel that if I protect myself, this is keeping me safe. But really, it's actually harming you because you're not fully alive. And to open up your heart, it takes work to do that when you've experienced pain or rejection or whatever, you know, as you mentioned at the beginning, pain has different ways. There's psychological, there's emotional, there's physical, there's spiritual. And so in the different depths of what you experience, it's coming back to yourself and reminding yourself, we have to open our heart Mm -hmm. to really be able to listen to the language and be with the energy of life. Mm -hmm. Because mm-hmm. there's an energy yeah. with life. Yeah. And and let's be clear too, you and I both know uh some boundaries are necessary. Oh yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. So it's not yeah, yeah. it's not that either of us are advocating no, 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 boundary no, no, free no, no, spaces. No, 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 no. Love does say no. I always say yeah. love does say no. It, yeah. It, yeah. And it's yeah. I think it's the narration of a lot of people think boundaries are for the outside. Where it's like, no, you have to uphold the boundaries. You have to tell somebody how to treat you. You have to tell somebody how they are to speak to you. Mm -hmm. You cannot just assume that everybody should know 
what it is to be a person or human being, because everybody has different experiences and everybody's yeah. going through their own triggers. So the boundary mm-hmm. is actually you upholding it and we mm-hmm. can get wishy-washy with it and not really understand, you know, seeing ourselves as a person mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. we put other people on pedestals and altars. So no, in no way, thank you for clarifying that when mm-hmm. I said the boundaries. Um, oh yeah, no, it's, yeah. it's, it's yeah. I it's know, important. I know, you know, <laughs> but no, for some listeners, cause they hear that, cause that spiritual yeah. text can get really messed up because, yeah. you know, when people hear Buddhism, it's like, oh, well, there's going to be no suffering. And it's like, no, you're human. You're going to suffer. Like mm-hmm. you, you can alleviate some of it yet to say there being absolutely no suffering, then mm-hmm. you're not being human because mm-hmm. people are going to transition. You are going to lose things. You're going to, you know, while we're doing this podcast, we had this big warning of a tornado hitting here. Mm -hmm. So it's like sitting here, it's like, well, what's Mm going to happen? What's going to, so to think that there's no absolute suffering yet. Thank you for bringing back that boundary um, conversation because yes, boundaries are necessary. And it's also to acknowledge that you are responsible for the boundaries. Mm -hmm. Nobody else is supposed to be responsible for it. And love does say no. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. What does self-care look like for you? Well, in the last two years, I've been making this distinction on self-care because I've been finding a lot of people um, in my coaching practice, well, I didn't have time for my self-care. And so I've been making a distinction between self-care, which is which can be optional, and what I call the necessities for living. So I'll often invite a client if this is something that they need to be working on. So I'll have them sit down and and sort of feel into it. And it might be things like getting eight hours sleep, um, eating from the rainbow in my diet, you know, so that I'm eating all the colors and all the foods and, you know, um, maybe it's uh, having, taking an hour for a bath every night or, you know, uh, ensuring that I get a 20 minute walk at lunchtime every day. Maybe it's giving myself physically giving myself and I'm doing it now a hug because there's nobody else here to do it. And it comes with so much more meaning from me when I do it. I have a practice where I, with intention and a scrubby, (laughs) I wash my feet every day. And as I wash my feet, I'm imagining baby toes and it feels so good when I take that scrubby along the arch of my foot and my heel. Not only do my feet look great, but I'm also reminding me both of gratitude and love. I, I love the baby that I used to be. And I'm so grateful for these feet for carrying me through my life as I'm doing now. Those are things for me that if I miss that, particularly the the, the foot thing, I notice it for the day. I, I start every day. You know, I, I'm fortunate enough that I have a hot tub in the backyard. Picture a big cedar tub, a pail that has a seat inside that can fit eight people. That's what my hot tub looks like. And I float in it because the floating, the feeling of my arms supported by the water reminds me that the world is a good place and will catch me if I fall, right? These are the necessities that I have that help shore me up to be in the life that I feel good in. And they're not negotiable. Self-care is negotiable. Self-care could be going and getting a manicure for some people. Self-care could be getting some Botox. 
Self-care could be any number of things. But what if self-care is a gratitude journal that you write in every day? What if self-care is noticing when you've pushed through something when you actually should have taken that breath that we were talking about earlier, right? Mm -hmm. So it's self-care is different from the necessities for living. And I have, and I encourage my clients to find for themselves the few things that make a difference in their lives. I try and connect with nature in some way every single day. In the wintertime, it's easy because we've got a big forest across the street. We go for a walk. Right now, it's really buggy. <laughs> so we don't go there. But I do. I garden. I talk to my plants. I'm in touch with them. I try and go for a walk every day. I notice the trees. When I'm in my hot tub after I've meditated for 20 minutes to half an hour, oftentimes, I'm listening to the birds. I'm listening to the that's my focus and my meditation beyond my body feel. It's where's the wind? What's it saying today? Right? So necessities for living are quite a bit different from self-care. And I really have tried to hone the things that, that really matter to me. And so self-care, self-care actually looks like this cup that I drink out of. My sons gave it to me for Mother's Day uh, this year. And it now reminds me, I, I asked them for it. Um, and it reminds me tulips are my favorite flower. And it reminds me of all, you know, the, the durable relationship that I have with them. Even to now they're 28 and 27. Um, and we have a really close relationship, despite the fact that they are now off in their own lives. And, but we talk regularly about things that matter to each of our hearts and we have this easy flow and this cup even though it's just a pottery cup reminds me of that relationship it's a necessity for my living it is part of quote unquote my self-care yeah what is a question you wished people would ask you hmm i don't know i've never really thought of that i think it's more when you're a coach it changes the nature of your friendships and not all of your friendships are able to allow you to be your full self in them anymore. So I guess what I, maybe what I would yearn for is someone to ask me how I am and really be willing to listen and be that container for me that I am for them. I have a few relationships that I can do that in. But not very many anymore. I, I, I get you with that. I <laughs> totally get you with that. I, I totally. And I, yeah. I, 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 and I don't want it to come across as, you know. No, no, it's not. It's some kind of Buddha or something. I, you no, know, no, I'm, no, I'm no. not. I'm just, you know. There's a well of vast, you know, what I leave people and what I say to people, especially those that aren't a parent yet. The biggest thing of parenting is being able to witness pain and not being able to do anything about it and not interfering yeah. with it mm -hmm. and to watch another human go through their pain and witness it and not try to shut it off, not try to save it, just witness it so that they can feel the security with being with it is a huge thing. And when you're coaching, you're witnessing a lot of that. Yeah. And then with your friendships, they don't have the same skill set because they haven't been able to go into a depth of listening. Yeah. 
And so when you start to open up and then they start to react and you see it physiologically and, and the way the car, and it's like, I, I, there's no space here for this. So I know it's within myself and it's not, um, I I totally understand. I, I told, and it's, it's, (laughs) and it's hard to articulate into words. It's when you understand it, you know, um, that, that space, it's like, can I be myself without your projections of who you think I need to be? Mm -hmm. Or you fixing or providing solutions for, or um, your discomfort getting in the way of my discharge, you know, Um, like it, every, every, every conversation, but every uh, emotion, if you will, has a natural arc, a, a beginning, a middle and an end. And when someone intervenes in the middle of it and offers you a tissue, oh, poor you, I'm so sorry. That is as much about them and their discomfort in holding that emotion um, as opposed to um, sitting with the person through the emotion so that they can fully express it and it giving them the dignity and respect to come to their own place within it, ask for help if they want it, and not if they don't. And just be with it for the whole, the whole flow. Yeah. When you do that so often for other people, you find that there's not that many people who can do that for you. And it's very true. It's, um, and, you know, in my own coaching, when people have gone through their episodes and they come out and they're like, how are you not exhausted? Like people cannot witness or watch this. And I'm like, I, I've, it, it's an honor for me to be able to allow you to be with your own sacred tenderness yeah. and for somebody not to push it away mm-hmm. because on the other side of that, you're, you're being empowered to release certain things and to accept and to connect into things where you didn't just have to shut it off and not allow it to go through its full process. Mm-hmm. Like for me, coaching is a real honor and it's mm-hmm. real sacred work that you are able to come into some very intimate moments with people and show them their greatness, show them who they are in their, their fullest capacity and to remind them to take space. Yeah. Like to shine brightly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's a real honor. I had a, I had a mentor once who told me it was the coach's uh, role to be like a big whiteboard or like a, a if you're at the movie theater at the drive-in movie theater and you've got that big screen we're the screen that they see their reflected self on and from that space can then begin to ask some of the questions of meaning for themselves um, and then we create that container that supports them as they come to some of those truths about themselves because ultimately this is their process, not ours and their journey, not ours. Yeah. And so we might walk with them for some of the way, but the, it's not our baton to carry. I can just walk alongside you. I cannot do the steps for you and Mm -hmm. I cannot pick the journey for you or where the path is going to go. All Mm -hmm. I can do is walk alongside you. Yeah. I'm going to bring you into a reflective question. Mm-hmm. I'm going to ask you to bring your awareness from right now and bring it to your 18 year old self. 
And you're only able to give yourself three words that would help you throughout your journey. What would those three words be? Love yourself. Fully. Yeah. I feel that. <laughs> I feel yeah. that. Where can the listeners find yeah. you? Um, I have a website at uh, trudychapmancoaching.com. Um, I'm also up on LinkedIn and uh, meanderings with Trudy at gmail.com. If there's any questions about the uh, podcast, which is of the same name, meanderings with Trudy. Yeah. Okay. Is there anything that you would like to leave the listeners with? Be kind to each other. Kind is different than nice. Kind has boundaries, is intentional, and supports growth. So be kind to yourself and kind to others. That's probably what I would suggest or invite, actually. In my coaching, everything's an invitation. It's your choice to take it up or not. Thank you so much for giving your time, which is the most valuable asset that we have in this life. This is, if the listeners are not aware, this is the first time me and Trudy have had a conversation that we met each other. And <laughs> we, we know each other through somebody else. And it's like, this is the first time we met. So yes, it's been lovely. It's been, yes. uh, it's just been great to meet someone who is as heart forward as I am. Yes. So thank you. It's been a privilege. So thank you for everything that you're bringing out into the world and the gift that you keep sharing. It is very valuable and it's so needed. So thank you, Trudy. Mm -hmm. And thank you too. Thank you too for the same. It's, um, it's not always easy work, right? This, this world is in a tough spot and we need less head and more heart and body wisdom coming out to find that balance between our three centers of wisdom, which is head, heart, and body. Let's be clear. But, but honestly, the way we've been doing things isn't working. So what else is, and you and I are both like lighthouses saying, look at yourself, look at yourself, look at your relationships. Where are we? Where do we want to be? Where do we want to go? Come forward into this possibility. Yeah. Yeah. So thank Remember you for the work you do. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Remember to be kind to yourself. Hey, you made it all the way to the end. Thank you for your time. It's greatly appreciated. If you found any value in this conversation, please share it out with a friend. Help us grow the dialogue. Let us create the safe spaces of healing. You can find more information at www.liftoneself.com. Until next time, be kind with yourself.